This is Gary with the Reforming Business Podcast. It's August 24th, 2017. Today we'll be discussing Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulation by David Chilton. I'll be joined with my normal co-host, Nathan Brackenridge, and we'll be discussing challenges with our business, uh, exciting updates, things that we're doing, uh, things that we're trying to overcome, all the the good stuff that I think will uh, hopefully help your week. And let's jump right in. All right. How's it going, Nathan? Good, good. Good, man. So uh, we started this podcast when we launched it back in uh, July-ish, maybe end of June. I don't know. But the weather was a lot warmer. Uh, We're at like 53 degrees right now. Yeah. So Michigan is taking its turn and it's taking it quick. So we are outside and we're just trying to stay warm. And it's really not that bad. I'm in a t-shirt and uh, um, some sandals. But... uh, but yeah, we're excited. Uh, productive Christian in an age of guilt manipulation. I think it has some very practical applications to business. Uh, it's it's one of those books that if you haven't read it, it destroys uh, some preconceived maybe Christian thoughts about charity and how that should look and socialism and kind of this uh, this backhanded approach to. Uh, uh, both business and personal life, but really around the, the thought of economics and how that gets applied. Christians, I think, have a bad view of economics. Not only do they have a bad view, but they have a bad view of what it looks like to be a Christian in a society where economics is a reality. Yeah, almost like it's a necessary evil. Right. That uh, we'd rather not deal with or that it doesn't have any implications uh, for our spiritual lives. Um, yeah. Or uh, eternity, for that matter. Right. Um, so let me ask. There's a lot of hurdles. There uh, is. You have to try to jump through to get into a conversation with somebody that just begins to make sense and is, you know, really applicable. Right. <laughs> right. And um, that's a good point. And I think um, uh, I, I think it's important because I, I, there's a lot of popular books within um, mainstream Christianity that it, that is very socialist. Uh, the 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 economic theory behind it is very much like just give your money away to the poor as if that will produce productivity, right? Or that that'll be anything helpful for the ultimate future. Not that we shouldn't be giving away money. That's not the argument. The argument is: is it wrong to economically plan for prosperity, plan for economic stability, plan for productivity? And then how should that look in light of the fact that Christians should be outrageously generous, right? right? And I think this book, Productive Christian in an Age of Guilt Manipulation, really attacks um, Ronald Sider's kind of uh, notions that that are very mainstream that I think over the years have only picked up steam in some of these other sectors. Mm -hmm. And that's only because people haven't read this book. (laughs) Right. Or their Bibles. (laughs) Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. At the end of the, the day, law of God. Yeah, they haven't picked it. To Absolutely. And, yeah. And understanding generosity is not the same thing as welfare. Right. I yep. Mean, there's a huge chasm yep. between the two. Yep. Absolutely. And how are we to, you know, structure uh, society um, with our money and issues of the poor? Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot in this book. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's. It's great. It's so, so wild books that you put down. It is, and, and you have to, it, you have to, absolutely, and... yeah. <clears throat> so let me ask you: When was the first time you've read the book, or when did you first come in contact with this book? Do you remember? Boy, I really don't. I know, I know, it was probably this year. 
Maybe yeah. late last year. Yeah. But it's one of those, you know, we buy five or six and then they sit there and yeah. we slowly go through them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm still plowing through it. Yeah, well, that's great, man. Yeah, I think uh, I don't remember where I first heard from it. I think it was Gary North. Um, I think I was reading some Gary North stuff, and I think because the book I believe is on Gary North, Gary North's website. It may or may not be, but I'm I'm fairly confident that's when I first came across it. It's about it a year and a half is. ago. I mean, if you yeah. Read the uh, uh, intro that he wrote. Yeah. I mean, he he just praised the book. So. Oh, he does. He does. So. Okay, well, let's uh, let's jump into some more of the specifics of the actual book and how it's very applicable to your business in the in the days and weeks and months and years to come. All right, hear that? Oh, hear that me. is uh, that is about four hundred pages of pure gold. <laughs> it's a thick book. Yeah, it is. I mean, this book, like, if I, I don't know if you can, that's a, that's a hefty book there. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. Like, uh, Gary North does a great forward here. The introduction alone is worth some weight. Um, I'll read a quote. I know you got one there, too. Um, the man who obeys God has the deep assurance that God is always building, always watching. He can really sleep and relax under God's provision. That's that's unlike a lot of uh, unbelieving, overly worked individuals who are very autonomous to God's plan, autonomous to God's will. And as a Christian, we can understand productivity in light of the fact that God is never absent from our needs and our cares and is watching our work on a daily basis. Right. You know? Well, if we believe God is sovereign to the point that not one bird falls to the ground apart from his will, Mm -hmm. then we have to ask ourselves, why are we prospering? Mm -hmm. If we're working hard and, and, and all of a sudden business takes off, your question is, what's going on, God? Right. You right. Know, what, what are you doing and what responsibilities do I now have? Right. And now the presupposition to that is that prosperity is not by chance. Like people, you either go, is God at work with prosperity? Now we're not saying that God will guarantee prosperity in the sense that we might equate that to from an American mindset. Right. But blessings are not just randomly distributed by God. No. Obedience is often tied to those. Now, that doesn't mean the wicked don't prosper, but they prosper in a different way than the kingdom of God prospers throughout the history of the world. And by using people in the, the way that God is operating. Right. You know? So as a servant of God, I have to look at these resources and go, what do you want me to do now? Right. You know, for the last 15 years, we barely got by. Now we have more than we could ever dream. What do we do with this? Right. Like, there's a reason for this. You right. Know what I mean? Right. So it doesn't allow me to lay in bed at night and just feel guilty. Right. No. Right. <laughs> or just um, in a way that's very unfaithful and a bad steward, just toss it around to every right. every yeah, every patched hole that needs patching. You have to be way more careful. Yeah. Yeah. When you don't have anything at all. Right. Because <laughs> you have to be future oriented in, oh. in terms of how you help people. And it ha yeah. be otherwise, that that uh, prosperity, that financial increase will no longer be there. And you'll no longer be able to help anybody, including generations, which we're commanded to help. Right. And, and being thankful and recognizing that this is a blessing. Like this one line here, I like um, on page 53 of his book. 
believe I'm chapter 2, it says, Nowhere is there the implication that the exuberance of the people was to be lessened by the ravings of guilt manipulators, pointing out that heathen cultures were suffering from malnutrition. Yeah. So he's right. saying that God even commanded, despite the fact that people were suffering all around his people, right. they were still to celebrate. Right. They were to buy strong drink. Yeah. They were to buy food. Right. Feast. And actually yeah. feast and enjoy themselves. Enjoy the fruit of their labor. Right. right. Not lay around going, oh yeah. no, I have to give it all away to be a good Christian. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, there's way more uh, detail and wisdom needed there. Absolutely. Which brings me to another point. I... I I keep mislabeling the book. It's Productive Christian in an Age of Guilt Manipulators. I think I right. said guilt manipulation or something like that. But that's an important point. That's right. there's, yeah. There's a lot out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, another quote he has here, and this is going back to the introduction. He says, um, the Bible encourages godly labor, thrift, diligence, and planning. Mm -hmm. Both the workaholic is condemned as well as the sluggard. Both live in defiance of the law of God. The lazy man will not work, and the man who is enslaved to work cannot rest. And Jesus rejects both. Wow. Yeah. You know? So we think uh, that the only way to be productive is to work until you can't rest. Work until you can't uh, enjoy it. Work until you can't see the fruitfulness of it. Work until you can't sleep. And that's not what God's calling as a believer to do. It's productive Christian work. And yes, that does mean hard work at times, mm -hmm. but it means hard work in a way that orients yourself to faith in God. Right. So let's pick up right there in the next segment. All right, so... Uh, yeah, just still in the introduction, just talking about the difference, the, the, uh, the, really there isn't a difference from a faith perspective between um, being uh, a workaholic versus somebody who's lazy. Right. Both of them are faithless, mm -hmm. and both of them uh, are more self-reliant. Now, I think one of the caveats to this conversation is that you can't always equate hard work with being a workaholic. Uh, I think we're commanded to work hard. So what does that look like? Let's maybe have that conversation. Um, maybe you have a perspective of the difference between hard work and workaholic? Well, I probably would want to find out what is behind being a workaholic. There's an idol somewhere there. Right. And what idol is that? Right. You know, what's the pursuit? What's the reason? Uh, much like, say, an alcoholic. You know, you're drinking in excess to do what? Right. You know, to, to cover up feelings, past, right. um, whatever it is. There's a reason why sure. they're replacing uh, order in their lives that God commands for mm -hmm. rest, uh, time with family, all these things that they're just blotting out right. in order to work. Right. Um, I want to get to the issue of that before I can, you know, really know a good definition. And then, of course, being lazy, the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, like you said, faithlessness. Yeah. You know, you believe that God's going to bless your efforts. Right. Yeah, so it has, yeah, you're right. It ha there has to be a faith aspect into your labor. I think a workaholic, like you said, basically they're removing, work is no longer in servitude to God, but servitude to self. Yeah. And therefore it becomes a self-fulfilling idol. And that the end goal is an obedience to God. The end goal is further profits. 
And this is where the prosperity uh, theology gets off kilt because ultimately the end goal is uh, self-generated income through faith in quote-unquote obedience to God, but in a way that is self only only self-fulfilling. Yeah. So obedience to God and hard work should be oriented around uh, sacrificial work, yeah. right? That, well, uh, it goes back to our first show, mm -hmm. you know, understanding work. Right. You know, understanding that work is not a curse. Right. Um, it is a blessing. It gives us purpose. Right. Um, now, the workaholic would probably say that. Yeah. They would say, work is a blessing. Work does give me purpose. Mm -hmm. But the problem is... It's the identifier of who they are, right. right? Now, but as a Christian, I think, you know, as I think about this, boy, we can, that fine line between justifying being, becoming a workaholic and just doing uh, due diligence can get very blurred, right? Yeah. I, I think I can, so the question ultimately comes to, uh, you know, what that labor is toward and uh, being very cautious. Mm-hmm. Especially if you love what you do, yeah. you know. I, I think uh, personally, I, I love I love what I do. I, I absolutely love it. But the problem is, I can I can work to a point that, and this is probably key, where you can neglect other things that are just as equally important. Yeah. Like your family. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I've I I have worked to the point where, like we both have worked late mm -hmm. you know into the night or mm -hmm. we found ourselves a whole day's gone mm -hmm. and we worked mm -hmm. and now that i work from home mm -hmm. i've never heard my kids complain that i work too much mm -hmm. when i left for work mm -hmm. and had a nine to five job right right yeah now that i work at home exactly it's like, all you do is work dad right and i'm like but i'm here right <laughs> but right. i'm really not right you know there's there's a difference that i have there to is. manage yeah <clears throat> that's a very good point i i echo that uh when i worked nine to five there was very clear lines mm -hmm. those lines aren't so clear now mm -hmm. but at the same time there's freedom for further productivity yeah there's so and then i can be around my kids to where they can say well you know then come up and sit on my lap and I can say, well, you can help me with this, yeah. type this. Yeah. So there's family integration that I think is a big part of what we do. So Which I love because they're going to grow up, look back, and they get to see us do it, not just hear about it. That's right. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about how that equates to uh, the subject of Productive Christians next. All right, so here we are. We're going to round off... Uh, just our conversation about Productive Christian, uh, the book, and uh, I think ultimately, uh, given Cider's um, premise, let's just ask the question outright, is it wrong to be rich? No. No. And uh, why do you think Christians struggle with that? Because I believe they, some of them believe it is. Mm-hmm. Some of them would side with cider and, huh, right. you know, agree that it's harmful or wrong or unbiblical or unchristian to be rich. Mm -hmm. um, I really don't know why. I mean, I can name a few different things off the top of my head, but right. I mean, you look at <laughs> well, let's let's just talk about what wealth is. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a premise: wealth is the accumulation of 
of of resources right right and so who is the most wealthy entity in the history of the universe it's god yeah god owns everything right so every dollar that we make pales literally doesn't even it's not even worth a piece of ink i don't if it's bill gates yeah. if it's i don't care who it is you know and the fact that christians are able to receive some of those resources from god mm -hmm. through the means of labor obedience and obedience yeah. and god's blessing and then take that and enjoy their life and 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 tithe and give and do mm -hmm. whatever they want in faithfulness mm -hmm. to god who is anyone to say that's wrong right because here's the, here's the key factor we're never accumulating autonomous resources right everything exactly. that we acquire is something that god already owned and it's on loan because we will not live forever. So every resource that we accumulate that can be equated to wealth is something that God has already owned. Right. So what what is faithful stewardship? Right. Is it receiving a bunch of resources from God in the form of wealth and then just give it all away? Right. I mean, right. how is that going to help anyone? Right. And that's the if the if the premise of the accumulation of resources is charity mm -hmm. and um, and provisions, right? Uh, then ultimately, then the answer becomes a little bit more complex than just give it all away. Yeah. But if the if the premise is the the point of accumulating resources is to just fix some inherent need that's around the corner from you, then you get one shot because you accumulate it and you give it all away and there you go. Let me tell you something. There was a year that I spent as a young person, a teenager, um, on the street. I had nothing. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing anyone could have ever done for me is to give me money. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Because being wicked, I would have used that for wicked things. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, the easy answer for Christians, I think, is just give people money. Yeah. That's the problem. That's why wealth is equated to sin because, well, you could help so many people. Yeah. Assuming that that's the answer. The answer is God. No. The answer is not accumulating wealth and then giving it away. You're, you're placing the wrong emphasis on the wrong Savior. The Savior's no. never been mo in the form of monetary gifts. No. It's always been permanently anchored in the person of God and regeneration through the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. by faith in Christ. Right. That's the one thing that we should be proclaiming as the answer to issues that people are confronted with. And then obedience to that king right. is what's going to help them yeah. more than anything we could give them. Right. I, my um, my eight-year-old loves to do chores, loves to get money, raise um, money, buy things. Um, for a while there seems like he was obsessed with it. And so I would constantly renate, tell him over and over the most common thing I, thing I said to him was money is not evil mm -hmm. the love of money is evil. right you know and, right. and i had to convince myself that for right. a while before right. i could teach him that right um because growing up in this country mm -hmm. with christians who believe that money's evil mm -hmm. or being rich is evil um you have to go back to the bible yep see how god speaks about money yeah so that's just a taste of the first uh, introduction and chapter of this great book
right, so this is a, this is a segment where uh, we're basically going to move into uh, maybe typically we're going to have business owners call in, but I think today we're going to do just a, maybe a recap of our challenges over the past couple weeks and uh, or um, some maybe big wins that we may have had. Uh, so um, yeah, that's right because we uh, want to encourage others that when they get the opportunity to call yeah, in, call in, and share yep. with us. Yep. And there's a there's a place right here on the Anchor app. Um, we'll share this episode when we go live. And uh, if you see that, uh, feel free to call in, leave a message. Uh, we're we're also reaching out to business owners and prepping them for some of those conversations. Um, and let me just jump into one. If you're part of the Reforming Business Community uh, podcast group, uh, I posed a question this past week about profits and we I have a client who's a good good friend and in his business he makes really good margins and uh, the question was about profits and how much is too much right or is there too much or is it just what the market demands and uh, what is our responsibility and the case that he gave was really interesting uh, he he was buying a home and uh, uh, he could have got uh, the person was asking uh, ridiculously low amount and uh, but they needed to sell it very quickly so he was assuming some responsibilities by buying it he couldn't sell it quickly uh, he'd have to pay taxes and things like that and uh, basically the conversation was around uh, he ended up negotiating a lower price and then he ended up selling it for you know a few hundred percent increase like within a couple days oh. and uh, the uh, the question is, when it comes to profit margins, how should we think about that from an ethical perspective? And yes, there's a sense in which the market drives drives that, but um, uh, this is one of those cases where I think it really comes down to both um, uh, a uh, um, a market aspect, but also some heart aspects. You know, you can't really escape having heart issues when it comes to profits. So, what does that look like for a Christian? You know, we could always negotiate ourselves down to working for free but is that really what we're supposed to do and that's kind of what we were getting in with the uh with the um with the david chilton book um but i don't know let's just throw that out there how, how should we think about profits and margins <clears throat> well what, what would be a uh, unethical profit uh i, mean, I other think other than the the basic yeah. Drug dealing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean? Right. Well. Like, yeah. Like say, you know, somebody does purchase something that yeah. they see uh, that they can take and put value into it. Mm-hmm. You know, like people who flip houses. Right. You know, and right. obviously they're going to make more than what they bought it for. Right. That's business. And that's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can buy a bolt for a half a peso, and then sell it for five dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that's got a huge margin. Right. So at one point, when does that become, quote-unquote, theft or robbery? Right. I don't think it does, uh, necessarily. I don't think the margins dictate uh, um, ethical issues. Mm -hmm. But I think the way in which they're acquired may. Yeah. You know, if you're doing it in a way that's dishonest, if you're doing it in a way that... uh, that um, you know is um, injuring somebody else willfully, um, and they're unaware of it. You know, deception plays a role in that. 
You mean so if I sell something for a hundred dollars and they found out they could have got it for ten on Amazon? Mm, <laughs> I think uh, somebody can always find something cheaper. Right, of course. Right, it's so, a responsibility. Right, that's a shopper's right. responsibility. So being able to find something cheaper doesn't always equate to breaking some ethics because I think being able to buy something for ten dollars on the spot, opposed to shopping around, getting it delivered, and I save a dollar or two is um, a prerogative that I need to decide myself as a responsible buyer. So there is an ethical issue with the buyer in that case because they have to make the decision with the stewardship of their money how will they do it. But right. if you're hiding that fact, uh, I still don't think, I don't necessarily think that's a problem. Um, not that you're hiding it, but that you don't have to divulge, hey, the guy down the road will cut your lawn for 25% cheaper than me. Yeah, so um, moving on here to the to the subject is that our time, you know, we have a timer here where we're yeah. trying to move well, through these segments. So I was going to ask you, like, some examples that you came across Yeah. Um, on the subject of yeah. profit and being ethical with that. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, obviously, uh, you know, diving more into the subject just to make sure that uh, we understand how God's law is oriented to this subject. Ultimately, it always comes back to, and this is, I, you know, it, it's often so, I don't know, it, it's an easy tap out for a lot of people when they don't want to talk about the application of God's word. They say, well, it's a hard issue. You know, and we just yeah. say, well, okay, well, wait, does God have anything to say about that? And we know that God has plenty to say about ill-gotten gain, right? Yeah. So, it, but it, this, in this case, it is the reality that you have to, you you have to guard your own heart when it comes to your margins, and that the market will dictate, to some degree, whether you like it or not, how much you can charge, right, or um, how much you should pay for something. And as a as a Christian, you have a responsibility to use your money wisely. So when it comes to purchasing something, uh, you need to look for you need to look for ways to buy the best service you can with the money you have. I we have a guy who cuts our lawn, and uh, we pay forty dollars per cut. We have a decent sized lawn. I could get it cheaper. The guy who cuts my neighbor's lawn, I think he charges between twenty five and thirty dollars. But the way that our guy cuts our lawn is far more um, uh, thorough, mm-hmm. and it, he does a really good job. Yeah. And um, well, there, there's there's been guys who have came over, whether they're handymen or whatever, and then time comes to pay the bill, and it's too low. Right. <laughs> you're, exactly. You're looking at it and you're going, right? No, man, I'm gonna at least tip you or something. Exactly. Yeah. I'll be our, our lawn guy charged thirty five dollars, and I said. No, nobody yeah. cuts our lawn the way that you cut it, and you go through here with a weed whipper, you go here with, with a, um, a blower, the lines look great, you you don't miss or skip a beat. This is worth $40 for us. Yeah. And uh, I, I felt we had an obligation to honor him and his workmanship more than what we were. Right, yeah, to you know, right. recognize its value. Right, and that he should recognize his own value. Right. Um, so many times I want to post, I want to text him after and say, I. Dude, amazing job. But yeah. it gets awkward. <laughs> but as a Christian, those are the kind of things we should be fighting for. Mm-hmm. People to say, wow, that was an amazing job. Right. And, uh, you, you know, if that's your goal, you'll be wrestling with margins 
either way because you want to honor your clients in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking from a servitude perspective, you're not looking for how much money could I squeeze out of them. You're looking for how much time can I commit to them and provide the best service that I possibly can that will surpass the amount of money they pay me. Right. Right. So I think that's the ultimate goal from our perspective as business owners, surpassing the standards that are expected. And sometimes that's hard. You got to read clients and you got to work with, um, you know, all kinds of different complexities to that. But your goal every month, every week, every day should be. How can I surpass my expectations? How can I over deliver to them and and wow them? And uh, that becomes an art. That's when business moves from uh, systematized processes and products to uh, artistic flow yeah. within that within the buying and exchange of money. Yeah, and it becomes it becomes a, like you said a, an obsession, a passion. Yep. To be better. Yep. Uh, to be more unique. I, I remember at one point, and I think we talked about the shows ago, um, you start off wanting to start a business so that you can make money. Right. And then when you start making that money, you start to really care about your business. Right. <laughs> You're right. like, how can I be a better business? Not just right. how can I make Because you got the money now. Right. It's there. Right. And now you start to see things that really, really matter. Yeah. And that's your client. Yeah. That's Absolutely. how you present yourself. How do you serve? Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll just I'll piggyback off that last statement. I think uh, one of the issues that I have always had is it's not ready, mm. right? Like I'm I've my mindset has been primarily client focused to where I never feel prepared to ship or prepared to deliver or prepared to bring out a new client. I always feel like it's just not perfected enough yet but that can become a catalyst to freeze you mm -hmm. and uh, and chances are if if that's your mindset you're often able to provide a lot better service than you think yeah. um, and you can just die of perfectionism yeah and you're gonna rob plenty of people right of what you have to offer right my wife struggled with that and in our business when it comes to doing things like Facebook Lives or making tutorial videos, um, you know, she would think to herself, nobody wants to see this. You know, this is common sense stuff. Mm -hmm. But a year ago, it was brand new to her. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm like, how many women are out there yeah. who have no idea about That's what you're talking exactly. about? And those little things that you think or you overlook or think are common sense are mind-blowing right because the more so many people. the more you get involved in what your industry does mm -hmm. the more you think everybody does it you're right, exactly and the reality is people are where you were a year ago or five years ago mm -hmm. and so you're right you have to if, if you're educating people in that industry you have to go back to what that was like and how lonely that was yeah that was that cost you a lot of money to acquire that knowledge that you don't even realize it took you you know, uh, I was talking to a painter the other day, an uh, artist, and he, he painted this picture that we were looking at, and I really, uh, I really wanted. I mean, it was, it was gorgeous. It was oil paint. It was him in a field. The colors were vibrant, and, uh, and uh, we uh, got his business card. We're still communicating on Facebook. But he said, you know, in the beginning, this would have taken me 18 to 20 hours to do over the course of weeks. He's like, I can paint a painting like this in maybe four or five hours. 
that doesn't necessarily mean the price should go down. In fact, it's something else, you know. Yeah. And that's part of the problem is people often equate because of the American mindset that you need to put in so many hours and they only equate the hours of your work to worth. And then you go, okay, well, if I work more hours, do I get to charge you more? When really it's a value-based system when the the wisdom that you acquire over time is in itself an asset to the company and to your clients. And so now I can I can jump into a website and I can tell within 10 minutes what's, what are the biggest dilemmas in it. That took me a year plus to understand. Yeah. And that itself is an asset. Yeah, no matter where you are on the journey or whatever you call it, you're, there's always someone behind you. Yep. That you can turn back to and help along. Yep. You know, so the more knowledge you accumulate, the more you can turn around and say, "Hey." Exactly. Yeah, and share that with people. Exactly, um, which goes back to our discipleship apps. Exactly, episode. and yeah. that's how that's how we grow. Yep. Yep. Um, well, that's great, man. Uh, let's uh, let's um, jump into the next next segment, just kind of wrapping up with some ups and downs, and uh, yeah, close sure. out our night. <laughs> oh, I know. Dude, that was painful. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, we're talking about that hot pepper uh, video yes. that's going around now. It oh, is crazy. The it? hot pepper challenge, and it's like these 12 people. Contest, oh, yeah. my goodness. That is, uh, yikes. And so you it's grow like your one... own hot peppers? Yeah, and wow. so we do. And my wife handed me one the other day, and I was just, like, laying on the floor playing with a baby. And she brought in all this, all these vegetables that were growing in our garden, all these tomatoes, cucumbers, I don't know, all this stuff. And our, these cherry tomatoes that she's growing this year taste like we had a neighbor over, and uh, he, he has his own, he brews his own beer, and uh, he was talking nice. about it and uh, some of the vegetables and local, um, like, wheat uh, places around here that actually grow it for people that, like these microbrewers. Interesting oh, yeah. conversation we can have later, but... Uh, Anyways, he tasted one of these tomatoes, and he's like, I normally don't like tomatoes, but that tasted like candy. Wow. And it is, I, I'm telling you. And what I love about it is our garden's right outside one of our side doors. So when it's time for dinner, mm -hmm. we always have salad. We just go pick uh, pick Fresh. our tomatoes, Fresh. drop yeah. them in there. We had, a, we had a show a while back with David Goodwin, uh, Goodman, and he talked about... Uh, Vegetables lose like 75% of their nutritional value within the first 24 hours. And I think that's a big part of that taste. Wow. Yeah. You go and it's pick right some vegetables, drop them in your salad. Bam! It's just, it's a win, man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, ups and downs. Uh, let's see. So for me, uh, over the past couple of weeks, uh, big, uh, big wins. I, I, I can't talk about this enough. I cannot talk about this enough. I, I have a team of of people that work for Grafted In mm -hmm. that are unbelievable, absolutely, way beyond what I deserve. <laughs> uh, and I could, you know, I've got Elliot Cameron mm -hmm. on the development side. I've got Roy Alamassi, who's just a killer in uh, in everything from like business strategy and oh, cool. and spreadsheets and uh, understanding our margins and. Uh, just gold and then I've got Helen you know Matt's wife who uh, is just doing content management she's smart I have we have content writers one of the writers emailed me and he said you know I know she's in Malaysia but is she American or English is amazing you know and I, <laughs> and, I and I look at that and I you know Matt works really hard and we have other content writers that work really hard and 
so for the up, I am just so humbled. I look at this team and go, this is an all-star team. In fact, I'm working on a post uh, in the SEO industry. A lot of people um, uh, drive the need to hire virtual assistants. Mm. And these are really low-paying jobs to kind of do things, but they build their whole business on VAs, and I don't think that's the way to go. I don't think you should just build your business on virtual assistants. You have blind spots as an entrepreneur, and uh, hiring the right people can expose those blind spots. <coughs> Excuse me, and they can complement the areas that you struggle at. So that's really uh, that's really the driving factor for me is uh, the um, just some of those those uh, the people that uh, work at Grafted In just okay. just amazed. So that's my my up. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, mine, I guess, I mean, I get to work with my wife. Yeah. And we, sure. our conversations uh, at night, around the dinner table, are, you know, just gold. Um, it's just about the business. We're just in awe still yeah. of what God can do. And you guys are about to move into a new Yeah, yeah. We Shop? Yeah, we are finally getting out of our <coughs> garage. Um, we just hired our third painter. Yeah. Sarah, she hired an assistant. Um, to do like you just said all the stuff that she just can't um, mm -hmm. you know those blind spots to take care of that mm -hmm. but who's actually has history doing mm -hmm. this with another company mm -hmm. um, yeah we're next week and going into a store so we have wow. more room we could yeah you know, more uh, work yeah it's amazing that's amazing that's amazing but yeah um, like you said, without the team without the girls yeah. that work for us we'd yeah be swamped one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. it's amazing man <clears throat> so uh, any <clears throat> any downs Oh boy, you know, praise God, no, not 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 the yeah. last week or so. Yeah, you know, uh, my line of business is like the stock market, mm -hmm. so there's ups and downs. One day I'm stressed out because uh, landing page isn't uh, doing the amount of work that I thought it could do, and yeah. or uh, another one's exploding. So uh, there are ups and downs on a daily basis, but uh, by God's grace, nothing too too painful. All right, uh, so that's been uh, episode, I think it's number four. That's when I'm going to label it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's where we're at. We we actually yeah, had a, a reforming business before this as a podcast, and we brought it back because there was a, a good demand for this kind of thing. Um, so it's so we do have previous episodes. You can still find some of those episodes. Yeah, on, great interviews. Yeah, on the Facebook page. Uh, John Crawford. Um, Bojanar Marinov. Bojanar, yeah. We've just had had some really, really good interviews on there that uh, um, if you haven't checked it out, check in the feed on our Facebook page. You'll find some of those. Um, we'll be launching a website not too far away uh, just so you can sign up, get some more uh, interaction with you guys, find a place to store all this good stuff. Uh, well, we hope it's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what's going to make it good is some of you business owners calling in. Yeah. And definitely. having segments where we get to interact with you and some of the challenges you have, some of the ups and downs, how you've overcome that. What was it like the day you started your own business? I still remember the day that I did it. And I remember my wife freaking out 2014 in July, July 2014. And it was a couple hundred dollars to get the business license. And she freaked out. And it has been a roller coaster ride, but one I would do all over again, except for years earlier. Right, exactly. <laughs> I wish I didn't put it off so long. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. if you're thinking about starting a business, stop it. 
<laughs> do it. Just do it. Yeah, I, I, you know, people are going to say, well, wait, there's all these other, I don't care, that's that's my advice, do it. Come on. I mean, move on, just, what what are you doing? If you're thinking about it, you're passionate about it, you, you're like, I think this is something I want to do, come on, what do you have to lose? It's a, it's a business license. Get it. Get your website up. Move, you know. I, I can't. I, I, I just, there's no other advice I have. Yes, be responsible. Yes, uh, look at your circumstances. Yes, but blah, blah, blah. You know, this kind of stuff can go on for millennial. I, if I had one thing to do over again, I'd do it earlier. I'm just too old. <laughs> so now i got to work twice as hard, and I want to sleep twice as long. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I wouldn't have started a, lot, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, there is nothing um, like owning your own business, uh, having your own schedule. Um, yep. Working with your family. Downs, yeah, yeah, working with your family, just, it's amazing. It is. Uh, I just want to go back to a little bit, just encouraging any other business owners to, yes, definitely call in. If you've ever had a business coach yeah. or been one, mm -hmm. uh, you know that stories encourage people greatly. Yeah. And just for anyone to, yes. to bring in different stories other than Gary, Gary's yeah. and I's. Um, will mm -hmm. be so encouraging to our listeners. Uh, to it can us. be very helpful. Yeah. It'll be for us. Yeah. Um, like I said, no matter where you are, there's always someone who is behind you. Yeah. Um, that you can turn around and help. Yeah, and, we need um, we need to hear from you. You've been in business for a decade, two decades, three decades, two weeks. You've had right. crazy ups, crazy downs. Uh, we're all in this, and as believers, we are really desiring to honor God and uh, to to just uh, further. The kingdom of God and share the gospel and spread spread the gospel provide for our families and we need all the encouragement we can get do not hold back those stories that you have that pain you've in, uh, acquired the the uh, exhaustion the crazy employee the the rough uh, business owner that was the final you know nail in the coffin to make you go that's it I'm done I'm starting my own business uh, all the different things that brought you on that trajectory, we need to hear. Uh, just give us a call. You can call into Anchor, leave a message, uh, or uh, shoot us a message on the Facebook page, and you'll we'll follow up for uh, further conversation. So, until sure. until next time, have a great week and uh, and enjoy your job.